Officer Rudy, have you ever drove away from a gas pump with the nozzle in your car? No, I have not. Uh, but I think about it all the time because my uncle did it once. Ripped it right out. But I guess there's some sort in of fail safe. No, I don't know when it was, but I, my dad has told me the story a bunch of times. If you do it in the 80s, it was, I mean, we're talking almost first blood. I'm talking, you know, the first Rambo. It wasn't even Rambo He's back spewing then. spewing, but it was petrol yeah. everywhere. Yeah, he took down this town. He went at the gas station because he was trained. He knew what he was doing. Um, first blood was, I remember my buddy Craig at lunch. When I was in elementary school, he's like, my parents let me go see First Blood last night. It was freaking amazing. He had blood all the way down his arm. <laughs> and I would just, I mean, he might as well had been, I could have been on a quest across three continents and some wizard was telling me the meaning of life. And that's how locked in I was to Craig's story about First Blood back then. But I, <clears throat> shoot, I might have been seven or eight. Uh, the reason I say that is I almost did it this morning. I was really tired today. I have not had a problem getting up early out in the West Coast. I don't know what's going on. I can wake up. I woke up at four and I was ready to go. And I go, four is a little early. Why don't we just shut it back down? Much, and then yeah. at five, what happens is then at five, I was really tired again. All right. So then I was like, okay. And I almost did it. And then for whatever reason, I dumped salt all over my eggs at breakfast, which I never do. I only pepper. And, uh, it got me thinking that I did do it recently and I did it almost exactly a year ago. And I was driving my sister and I were doing a little road trip back home, um, to Martha's Vineyard. So it wasn't too big of a trip or anything. We stopped to get gas. But as I pumped the gas, I went in. And in Connecticut and in California, they have the automatic thing. And in a lot of places, I don't know, I think there's still states that don't do that. And every now and then, like when you get used to it, it's super annoying when they don't let you do it. So I ran in to grab some stuff. And then I came back out and I drove away. And I could feel it, you know, and I looked at my sister and then I did a thing I shouldn't have done. I was like, oh, I thought you were grabbing it. So that was like my oh, one no. little excuse. But, you know, a leader... I'm a, I consider myself a leader of men and I don't want to blame her for that one. So I pulled away. It is really embarrassing. And then I walk in, you go, Hey, what's up? And then they take your insurance and all this stuff. And you're like, wait a minute. Are you guys just going to like scam me on a bill here? And nothing ever happened. And they do have, they just, they're like tear away deals. They're like nineties NBA pants. They just, they just tear away. But this morning I pumped. I went in to grab a water, I came back out, I got in the car and then I went, what are you doing? Like we're not even close to being done. So it's weird. Uh, that's how my day started. Yikes. How are you? I'm good. I mean, yeah, I, I was going to say, I don't think, you know, I feel like there's technology involved where like it just isn't going to just like spew gas everywhere and leave some sort of hazardous zone behind you. Yeah, that's the thing. I, I was in West Hartford once and a cop did it and I had to stop. I ran over to the cop car and like banged on the, the thing was like, Hey dude, Oh, like you're about to pull away. So it was a cop. And then of course, cause it was a cop, he, he couldn't be like, thanks. He was like almost like annoyed that I alarmed him. Yes, civilian. Yeah, but he also, I could tell, and I'm, I'm friends with all sorts of, um, guys from different cities that are cops and stuff. So this, but I think even the cops listening will admit at times, like if you're the cop and you do something sort of embarrassing like that, you can play it like, oh my God, I, but you're still sort of like some of you guys are so in your mode that you, you have to do the tough guy move and be like, oh, thank you. You know, like, what do you mean, thank you? Like, I was just testing I, to see how sturdy it was. Yeah, right, right. I meant to do that. So here's what we're going to do today. We are going to talk with Darren Woodson 
about all sorts of stuff. The defensive correction, Josh Gordon, breaking news, out of the league again, taking a break because of mental health, but then a further report saying that he had violated the drug program again. So uh, we'll do a little on that. I'm not going to make that the entire podcast. And then the theory with Tim Hasselbeck on Baker Mayfield. My theory is this, projecting a lot, but if he's the guy in Cleveland for the next 10-plus years and they're a competitive team and considering who he was or who we thought he wouldn't be, perhaps because of size, Big 12 and all those things, and the fact you had Sam Darnold and other quarterback options that were more traditional, bigger dudes, you get the whole point. Is Baker Mayfield, in fact, the... Could he be like the most significant draft pick of the last 20 years? How many other guys could be as significant as Baker if you factor in all of those things? So we'll do that. And then I got Anthony Davis and a little college football rant again. So a lot to do here. So that means, Saruti, let's talk about time. How about checking in with our good friends at Tiso? Tiso is the official watch of the NBA. Tiso brings performance and style to the game by offering painstakingly accurate timekeeping and stylish and authentic watches. Tiso is the official timekeeper of the NBA. You started to notice that, I bet, folks. Huge NBA pod, clearly, and I bet you're starting to watch and looking around the arenas and be like, hey, Tiso. I know about those guys because Tiso's worked with the league to introduce state-of-the-art shot clocks and integrated timing systems in all 29 NBA arenas, a first in league history, and ensure consistent timekeeping in each second of NBA play. Some people are wondering if Tiso could help fix the charge block call. They can't do that. Tiso activates its NBA partnership at major NBA milestones and throughout the year, engaging with fans at the NBA All-Star Game, the NBA Draft, at retail locations, on NBA broadcast partners, and digital and social media, and with each of its partner teams during the season. This holiday season, get the NBA fan in your life a Tiso watch. Tiso Team Quicksters are 50% off, available only at USTisoShop.com. Okay, let's bring in Darren Woodson here, and let's talk a bunch of stuff, including I'm going to ask him uh, this Dak Prescott thing too. I want to start with the defense that we're starting to see the last few weeks, Darren, because I, I think it's just real simple to have people go, oh, well, it's cold. You know, you got to run the football. Like, I don't know if that stuff's even true anymore. I think it was true when you played, hey, when it's cold, you got to run the football. There's so many playoff teams that doesn't happen with, but these high powered offenses, we've seen the Rams. Maybe it's the defenses that they play, but it's been different for them. We've seen some of the stuff with the Saints, the Chiefs, even in that Baltimore game. So as a defensive guy, did you think the defensive thing was over or did you think this correction was coming? And is this actually a correction? I think it's, it's a correction. And, you know, it's, it goes back, Ryan, it goes back to, I remember Bill Parcells years ago. This is like in 2002, 2003, when he came on with the Dallas Cowboys. He was talking, he talked to me specifically about how the league was going to change and how it was going to become more of an offensive league. And back then it was more, it, I'd say it's 50-50 back then. But he talked about how the league was going to change and it was going to be more, you know, geared toward more offense. They want to sell tickets, put butts in the seats. That's uh, the expansion of the NFL. That's the direction. And that conversation took place in 2002. And it, he was right. I mean, it was going that direction. But then he also said, at some time, it's going to correct itself. It's going to correct itself in this way. Defensive coordinators are going to be smart enough to understand how things are, are going to flow. They're going to start coaching guys a different way. And I'm a firm believer in this season, we saw the explosiveness in the Rams early on. We saw how explosive the the Saints were, the Kansas City Chiefs were. And after a while, you start to run the same formation. You start to get the same look. Defensive coordinators are smart enough to understand, okay, if I get this, 
I can teach my guys how to prepare for it. And they've seen so much tape with these guys, especially at the end of the season. You always see defense start to get a little bit better at the end of the season. Things tighten up. And, and then when you start to continue to see same formations, they're running the same splits, okay, now we can jump some routes. Now we can play things a little bit differently. I think it's just the familiarity of what they're seeing at the end of the season. That's why you're starting to see uh, we all seen the Chicago Bears play at a high level all season. We're starting to see a Cowboys defense who we talked to earlier in the season. We're like, that's going to be their weak link. They're starting to understand how teams are trying to attack them outside of this past weekend. But these defenses, all of Baltimore Ravens, they understand what they're getting now. And offenses are, are, are starting to have to press and that's the thing I always say about good offense. At some point, if they play a good defense, if the, if the Kansas City Chiefs play the Chicago Bears in the in the Super Bowl or or in any on 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 a, on a you know this past if they play this Sunday, Chicago Bears a good defense against the Kansas City Chiefs. At some point, the Kansas City Chiefs are going to be in a position that they're uncomfortable with, and they're going to have to press. And that's what a good defense does to you. It makes you press. It makes you put you in situations. And we just saw a Kansas City against Baltimore. If it wasn't for a fourth and long, and 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 Mahomes make this crazy throw to Tariq Hill on a fourth and long, they lose that football game at home against a good Baltimore Ravens defense. Good defenses at some point are going to make you press and make mistakes. Let's get specific on it then. Okay, so Goff. You went from, oh my gosh, this is terrible to, wow, yeah. look at McVay. And I, the more I'd watched him the last couple of years, like there's some really special arm talent there in some of the stuff that he does. Okay. So this isn't, yeah. this isn't one of these dudes that's kind of ham and egg in it with just being schemed up all the time. But as a safety, if you'd watch film from him in the beginning, see those guys. And this is something I talked with Dilfer about on my other podcast about, you know, limited formations, but that's the, it was working all the time. Like what would you yeah. be keying on? What would you be looking on now that you'd understand better at say week 14 than week two playing against him as a safety? Look, the key is this. The key to beating the Rams is this, Todd Gurley. That's the key. Because there's no one outside, outside of Brandon Cooks, maybe he can talk, take the top off the defense, but Brandon Cooks is not a great route runner. He's not a guy that, that you put out there individually and that he gives you a whole bunch of moves and keep comebacks or whatnot. you got to really game plan Brandon Cooks. you got to take care of the deep ball with Brandon Cooks. So you can can I jump in there for a second? Just yeah, because... I think that Cooks ends up with this start to his career that statistically puts him in this group of receivers. You're like, damn, are you serious? He's there. So why does everybody keep trading him? And it's for what you just exactly said. He's good. He's not all-time special. And that's why nobody wants to pay him. And that's why some people were like, man, I can't believe the Rams gave him this contract. Like, I'm just so glad you said it because I think some people present Brandon Cooks as this all-time, like, game changer. You have to totally – and I don't think that's really who he is. He's nice. This is not Odell Beckham or Julio Jones or, you know, A.J. This is not a guy that – you know, this is a – he's not a pure route runner. He's not a guy that's going to create a lot of separations. What is route running? Not – Again, he gets behind you, but you got a problem. You absolutely have a problem. And you have the game plan for that and tell you guys to play him in a certain way, but not, you know, he's not going to create separation with the underneath route and be dynamic after, right after catch after that. That's, that's something you don't have to worry about. So I don't look at the Rams as far as outside of Gurley, who sets up everything. If Gurley's going, you can forget it. If he's going between tackles and he's running hard, because there's sometimes I mean, the last few weeks I've watched Todd Gurley, and maybe it's because of the injury, he hasn't been running that hard. He doesn't. He's not running with the same 
the tenacity that he ran with earlier in the season. He's not. He's banged up. You can tell. You saw it in Chicago. You saw it this past week against Philadelphia. So if you can control Todd Gurley at the line of scrimmage, now you put the ball in Garrett Goff's hand and you say, okay, I want you to beat me. I want you to throw in inside windows. I want your arm action to be the one that's going to, to try to beat me. And I don't think Jared Goff, without all the fluff, without all the play action, without all the uh, speed sweeps and all those things, if he just has to drop back in tight situations and say third and eight and say, you're a drop back quarterback, beat us, he ain't going to do it. He's not going to do it. They, they are very good when they are game planning you as a defense. And they can do uh, crossing routes and do these little, you know, spoof things and all the eye candy. That's when they're at their best. And I'll take another one that's a huge loss for them. Cooper Cup is a huge loss for this football yeah. team. Because, you know, we talk about, you know, what Woods can do. Woods is a good, very good receiver. I'm not, he's not a dynamic receiver. But there was something about Cooper Cup as far as his tenacity, his physical ability, blocking downfield uh, for Gurley. And Woods does a good job of that as well. But guys would get in the way and block downfield. There was a toughness to this Los Angeles Rams offense when they had Cooper Cup outside. There's no toughness out there anymore. Reynolds is not the guy that that, that come in and take that place of, of a guy like Cooper Cup. So what would you do against Mahomes then, now that you've watched him for a year? Keep him in the pocket. Sort of. You, hope. You, you sound less confident oh. on this one. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, look, this kid's dynamic, man. This kid is really, really special in, in some of the things he does. I, I, the, the key to him is you can't let him get on the edge and break down the defense because it wears you out. As a, I, I can remember playing quarterbacks that, that, you know, like a Brett Favre and, you know, you know playing Brett Favre is one thing. People are like always like, oh, he's not all that great. Listen. And when it's third and eight and he breaks out of the pocket, he throws a 40 yards downfield, it's demoralizing. It demoralizes the defense. And that's some of the things that that we're seeing with Mahomes. He gets out of the pocket, breaks things down, and then he comes backyard football and, bam, he completes a pass to Tyreek Hill, 30 yards downfield on fourth and eight. I mean, that's, that, that's tough. That's hard to overcome, those situations. So he's a guy that I would want to keep him in the pocket I think one of the things that we're starting to see with Mahomes, and I've, I've felt this way probably around eight or, week eight or nine, is that you, you start to see a guy who has to make the spectacular play. He makes the spectacular play. So what happens when you, you know, rely, continue to start to rely on that? And I think they're starting to rely on Mahomes making spectacular plays with his arm to win football games. The biggest, the biggest. The problem I see with, with this football team is the running back position. I and mean, I know they played well last week, but losing Hunt, that, that's a huge loss, man. That's a huge loss for this football team because he was dynamic with the football in his hand. He catch the ball, he loved to play tackles, he was tough as nails. Toughness is what you need in the month of December and January. And I don't know how tough, physically tough, this football team is. I think mentally they can get by with some things, but physically I don't know if they match up with all the teams uh, in the AFC when it comes to the month of January. I've talked to you about the end of your career, and you've always been really funny about it, where you just said it was like the first time you sat in the film room and you went, who the hell is that? And you're like, oh, mm. God, that's me. Right? Yeah. Like, so yeah. when you, I, this isn't about the end of your career, but when I look at New England, 
Uh, they've they've proved people wrong now for decades. Anybody doubting them, I have been kind of on the fence of of not wanting to doubt them because they're them, and then realizing what I see every week, and that's less of Brady. There's plenty of numbers that would back it up. The red zone stuff's terrible. The fact that I don't understand how they get Brady, the greatest of all time, at a discount, and they still can't have a guy come off the edge. Uh, mm. They got like one Pro Bowler on defense, and that's that's Gilmore. So collectively, and they've gotten trounced by teams in, in a way this year that they haven't gotten. Like I did this number where they had lost three games so far this year. And by the way, these are the bad teams by 10 points or more. It's the first mm-hmm. time in a Brady season the Patriots have lost three games or more by 10 points or more since 2005. So there's a lot of stuff telling you, like, this team's not that great. And then that's kind of what we've seen again the last couple of weeks. So mm-hmm. when you were when you were at the end with the Cowboys – what was it like when it kind of sunk in, even if you were still lying to yourselves when you came out of the tunnel? We knew we couldn't match up. I mean, that was, I mean, to me, just knowing the matchup issues. I remember when Randy Moss came in the league, and this was just, you know, <laughs> Randy Moss came in the league, and, and we were playing the Minnesota Vikings on Thanksgiving Day. And I remember, and I, as God is my witness, walking out of that tunnel and looking at the guys next to me and thinking, we're going to take this one on the chin. Like, I, I was the biggest competitor. I cry after games, Ryan, after we lose games and all that. But I remember a short week, not much film, not much playing time, and knowing, oh, my God, these guys are going to thump us today. And just look at the guys. Look at the eyes. This is like, but I'm just saying, like, physically, I knew we couldn't match up. But you start to see, I started to see, you know, with the Cowboys, you started to see this with Troy Hickman having the back problems, and then guys get, you know, Michael Irvin getting injured and getting hurt. You starting to see like some, you know, uh, Daryl Johnson having a neck injury. You start to see guys go downhill that way. When I look at the Patriots, I don't. I mean, guy who I look at the most when I'm looking at the Patriots because he's been so damn good for so long is Gronk. He's the guy I look at, and I'm like, man, this guy looks like a he looks like Dirk Nowitzki running down the, fo- the football field, man. I mean, he is like there's. That's it, not it, a compliment. It, it, I'm assuming. No, it's not a compliment right now. I mean, not, not <laughs> Dirk's like 21 years, 22 years in the league, whatever it is. But it doesn't seem like like flexible. He doesn't have the flexibility. They're not flexing him outside. The versatility is not there anymore. He was the guy that was to me was always the X factor because you could put him anywhere you want to put him, and he was a mismatch. Whether it be with a corner. Safety linebacker, he was always the mismatch for for Brady. Brady doesn't have that anymore. He doesn't have that dynamic player. I, I mean, I not only what's going on with Gore, Josh Gordon, he's he's walked away from the game again. But you know, Edelman is a guy that you know he's been banged up too. I Man, there's so many injuries that they've had to overcome with their skill players, and they're not the same guys. They're just not. I mean, I. Listen, I am the biggest. I love this team and this organization and what they've done. I'm not. I'm not a Patriots hater at all. I love the team. I really do. I just. I think it's phenomenal for what they've been able to accomplish. I think they're the greatest team in the history of football because of what they've been able to accomplish over all these years. But you're starting to see the veteran players and the mainstays of this football team go downhill, and it's right before our eyes. So you're. That's why you're seeing them lose to mediocre teams by double digits. That's why you're not seeing the consistency like that we've seen in the past. That's why you saw them just these past two weeks lose put two games together. They've lost two 
back-to-back games is because they're not the same football team they've been in the past. And their quarterback at 40-some years old is not a guy that can be dynamic as well. I mean, he can't get out of the pocket. He can't run. He can't do things. So when the guys aren't creating any separation, what are we seeing? We're seeing mediocre play by their quarterback as well. But, look, I'm not a guy that's going to count them out. I mean, you got they're like roaches. They are, man. They're like roaches. You better, you better stomp them out. You just can't spray, uh, you know, exterminator spray at them and they, you know, hey, kill no, no, you got to stomp them out. So I'm not, I'm still not giving up on them. The Gronk thing is interesting because you're right, first of all. Um, but we had like this maybe false sense of hope against Miami because he finally put up numbers. But you know, I always defer to the people that study this stuff and the coaches film and a couple breakdowns that I watched and then read as follow-ups is that Miami just did an awful job defending him and he had a free release the entire time and then Pittsburgh really keyed on him and then you got Edelman with a few drops and so you know all this stuff kind of combined like there are there are weeks where some teams just game plan different and then all of a sudden like we we from the outside will say like oh Gronk's back and then like by Wednesday you would see breakdowns saying yeah, he had a lot of catches, but there's nothing to tell you that he has the kind of separation and you know the, the, the prime Gronk. Like he can have exactly. 100 yards, but this it doesn't this mean this he's the prime. This right. is not the prime Gronk, and, and not only that, but you just said it. You watch the how the Steelers played. You watch how the Dolphins played him. They let him come off the line of scrimmage, and you know he just he created a separation with his body because he was so big or whatnot, and you know, made some plays for him, and it had a hell of a game. But then you watch the way the Steelers play them, bumping them at the line of scrimmage. Get him, don't let him get started. The thing is with Gronk, he's, you know, he's like, a, he's a, he's a, you know, it's like one of those old men. If you let me get started and get ahead of steam at 49 years old, I might hurt you. But if you stop me at the line of scrimmage, oh, it's going to take me five seconds to get adjusted and then get started all over again. I mean, hell, I could hurt you right now if you gave me a free release. Well, maybe not. But anyway, I think they, I mean, you kind of play him in a certain way, and, that, and that's what. And Edelman's the same way. As tough as Edelman is, much I love, you got to play him in a physical style. You cannot allow them to just run off the line of scrimmage and create separation. You got to mess up the timing with this football team. I, I, listen, I think with Gordon not coming back, they're in trouble. They're going to be in trouble. Okay, so it's let's 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 get to that because it was breaking news uh, the morning of this pod as we taped it is that he was leaving the team, and his quote was. Um, Quote, I take my mental health very seriously at this point to ensure I remain able to perform at the highest level. I've recently felt like I could have a better grasp on things mentally. With that said, I'll be stepping away from football field for a bit to focus on my mental health. Uh, however, and, you know, not to say that that's not the important part of this, but now it's being reported that, uh, he also was going to be leaving because of another violation mm-hmm. of being in the program. Um, so. He doesn't you know, make it back. Yeah. He doesn't make he, it back. Done, done this time. He's done, done. He's done, done. I mean, he went to a place where, you know, look, people revive their careers with the Patriots. I mean, they, they, they give it a little bit of everything. I mean, and they were the last hope for him. I mean, they were probably one of the last. I remember talking to the Cowboys like, hey, this is a guy you might want to go at. Even the Cowboys with Jerry Jones. And Jerry's given everybody third and fourth and fifth chances. And Jerry was like, no, we can't do it. The Jerry said the no. No, can't. Uh-uh. Even Jerry, and we're talking about two or three guys in, their, in his own program right now, Randy Gregory and David Irving, 
guys who give that, they've given multiple chances to Hardy. I mean, they said yes to Greg Hardy. They said yes to Greg yeah, Hardy, and Greg, all I heard was that not only what he had done, but when he was there, he was a disaster as well. They said, a and they disaster. said, disaster, a disaster. And he was, he was, was I think, he was terrible I, I, there, I, wasn't he? Was that Hardy was awful to deal with while he was a cowboy, right? Oh my God, Hardy was a monster, man. He, he, not only was Hardy a uh, Greg Hardy a monster. I mean. You had young guys like Randy Gregory that were coming and had his issues coming out of college who were in the same room with him. David Irving in the same room with him. Marcus Lawrence. You look at every one of those guys that were in the same room with Craig Hardy, and they've all been in the program. They've all been in the program, and, and he was the linchpin of all of them and as a veteran player. And he had his own issues with, you know, off-the-field issues, right. not only with drugs, but you know, so listen, the Cowboys have been there, but then they were looking at Josh the same way, and they thought, "No, we can't do it." And, and you know, when you land in, in, in New England, usually you bounce back. There's usually a bounce, at least one bounce back season. And you know, for 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 him to go through this right now, I don't see and then walk away from the game again. I don't see anyone giving him another chance. I, I just think that it's just because he breaks your heart. You know, at some point he's going to break. He's like that girlfriend that you you know you give her a shot. And, Man, she's mine, and I love her, and she's not going to cheat on me again. And then, bam, you fall in love again, and here she goes. Hey, so can I can I ask you like a because I'm not I'm not disagreeing with any of that. I I never know. I mean, there there always feels like there'd be a team. You know, people kind of give New England this weird credit for me, like oh he'll go to New England and everything will be better, and be like that's assuming a lot. I've met him twice. You spend five minutes with him, you love the guy. Everybody Mm -hmm. that meets him really likes him. you know, I, I don't want to beat up on him for saying, hey, this is a mental health thing. And then never he actually yeah. never addresses why this is like, look, if he didn't if there wasn't a substance thing here with the league popping up again, he's playing to close out the season. But um, when you were teammates with Michael, like what mm-hmm. what's it like when you have a guy who's your dude and he means so much to the team? And I don't remember the timeline. You know, I don't have it memorized here with Michael and your time with the Cowboys, but what is that kind of like when you know a dude's going through some stuff and you're yeah, trying to be there for him? It's tough, man. It's tough. And, and, and you know, Gordon is one of those guys, that I like Michael Irvin, where, you know, you just, you just wish that, you know, they could, that, you know, the demons can go away yeah. because they're such good dudes. I mean, I, I don't ever heard about Gordon. It's the same thing you just heard. You be around him and you're like, man, he's a magnet. You love him. And yeah. Michael Irvin was fantastic. I mean, this Michael Irvin was the best teammate I could ever have, ever. You asked Troy Aikman as well. I mean, he did within that locker room. He did everything right, everything right. Show up early, stay late, work out harder than anyone, push us all. He's just motivated, and you want to be, you want that guy to succeed because you know how much he means to you. You know how much you rely on him on third and eight. And fourth down, you you need him to be at his best. And when you know things aren't going right in his life, you know you try to rally around him. And, and it, part of it is selfish. I'll be honest with you. Part of it is selfish because I know I needed him and for us to win another ring. I needed Michael Irvin to be at his best. And you rally behind him and you try to get, but you know you get disappointed and you get disappointed. And after a while, it's like, well, you know. I can't count on them. And when you can't stop, when you get to the point where you can't count on them, like we've done everything we can, we've exhausted not only the players, but the coaches and 
the organization. They've done everything. They've exhausted themselves to, to be there for him. And I'm not just talking about Mike as a whole, because in the end, Mike got his life right and, and, and finished out. But I've been around a lot of players that have gone through this. But after you've exhausted yourself with that player, then it's like, you know, you got to move on, man. I mean, you can't keep on giving and giving and giving in hopes that things are going to turn around because of how spectacular or good of a football player he is or how good the friend he is. At some point, you got a game to play, and you got to play with the guys that are out there. And if they're not out there, not totally committed to it, you got to move on. You are, I would probably say, you know, correct me here if I'm wrong, but do you have the best relationship with Jerry of all the players that were on those awesome Cowboys teams? No. I no? Michael, no, no, no. I think Michael Irvin, uh, by far, probably has the best relationship with Jerry. By far. It ain't close. And, and listen, Jerry has given me... And Jerry loves you, though, right? I'm not wrong. Like, Jerry, no, it's not just Jerry. It's Steven. It's uh, Charlotte. I, I mean, look, I'm in love with that family as a whole. As a whole. But... I ain't their favorite son. I can tell you that okay. right now. Like, okay, well, all right. Their favorite son. Okay, so, but this is, because you're still, like, you know, and again, this is just me knowing you over the years, so I, I never want to assume anything, but when mm-hmm. I've talked to you about Jerry, like, yeah. you know, just the reason I've always liked you so much is that you just, look, you're great at this job. I think you could be a GM. You could be in the Monday Night Booth. Like, that's really how I feel about you. Like, I, I think you should be I one of our biggest that. NFL stars at ESPN. I really do, because you're that good. But, I also get the sense that, like, and maybe this is the question I'm asking, can you tell Jerry when he's full of crap? Can you say it to his face? Be like, Jerry, you're so wrong on this one. Absolutely. And how does he handle Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Like, it's off his shoulders. He'll, he'll listen to whatever you have to say. I'm serious, man. I mean, one thing about Jerry is he's an open book, and he has an open-door policy, but his veteran players, former players, and current players, which hurts them as a whole. I mean, it does hurt them. As, as far as having an open-door policy for his, his current players, that hurts the, the organization. So I've had conversations, personal conversations with Jerry, and he sits there and he will listen to you, and he will, you know, take you wholeheartedly. He will welcome you in. And there's not an argument. He's going to listen to you. And he tells you. He'll tell you, hey, man. No, he's walked up to me at a United Way event before the event and asked me about a couple of players and a couple of things that he's doing. And I told him flat out, ask me about how, why, why is he is doing so hard on, you know, our organization and this and that. And I'm like, here it is. Here it is. Let me tell you why. Because you're in the way. Because you're the GM and you're making these decisions off the cuff. And he just listens. He'll shake his head and say, okay. But you know what? The one reason why Jerry Jones has been so successful all his life, and I'm telling you, man, just through success. There's just through success and being around. I own my own two, I own two businesses, Ryan, at home. One's a software company and one's a, I'm a partner in a real estate company. There's got to be some narcissism about you to be successful. Yeah, no, man look, I get that. Oh, my God. He is all the way a firm believer in the Jerry Jones way. And it's not just Jerry Jones way. He, he beats it up with his son, Stephen, with his daughter, daughter, Charlotte. Those three, they get together in a room, and they come out with this. And, and Jerry Jr., and they come and they make it the Jones way. They go, they're going to do it the Jones way, and that's how they go about it. And that's, what he's, that's why he's been so successful in real estate game with the Dallas Cowboys with everything he's touched is because he firmly believes in him to make the right decision. 
Okay, so last thought here. What would you say to him about what he should do with Dak, and what do you ultimately think he does? What do I think he should do? Look, what I, would you say? Hey, he calls you up. He says, hey, Darren, what should I do here with Dak? Because I think I have a guess what he's... Yeah. No, you got to pay the man. You got to pay the man. He's got to pay, pay the man. And I, and I you got to pay the man. I mean, look, there is something... And, I, and, and I'm not a, a Dak apologist. I think that he's not... A, I don't think he's accurate with the football. I think he... There's these windows during the game where he doesn't... There's these times during the game where he just... You know, he plays at a lackadaisical play. He's turned the ball over with his, you know, as far as whether it be interception in crucial times or fumbles or whatnot. There's some things that there's some warts you see with Dak. I'm like, man, I wish he could play, you know, four quarters of just error-free football. You're not going to get that with Dak, Dak Prescott. You're not. But what you are going to get is a leader of men. You're going to get a guy who this team firmly believes in every player in that, on that football team. I don't care if they're playing Indianapolis Coastal last week and they're down by 23. When he's on the sideline, they believe in him. I can't say the same thing about Tony Romo when he was here a few years ago. I can't say that this team and these players thought, okay, well, Romo's going to bail us out. Okay, well, we're down by 14. Romo's going to do this. Or, or we're up by 14 and Romo's not going to turn the ball over. No, no, no. They didn't believe. There's something about this guy in that locker room that they all rally behind. And it's not just the players. It's the equipment staff. It's the training staff. It's the weight coaches. They all, he has that it factor about him. And that's the reason why Jerry is going to pay him. Because Jerry understands who this guy is. Yeah, he has a lot of warts, but we can figure it. But because of his confidence, because of his, his competitiveness, we're going to be able to cover up those warts at some point, and he's going to be a championship quarterback. I believe at some point that Prescott will be a championship quarterback because of, he has the intangibles to do so. Damn. That was uh, that was emphatic, that sideline stuff. I mean, we're gonna, <laughs> Will Kane's going to be using that to open his show today. <laughs> Don't start, man. Hey, you're the best. I appreciate it. You let me know if you need anything, all right? All right. Love you, brother. Take care, Ryan. I promise we'll get to that other NBA stuff and, and some college football with Saruti here in a second. Um, but we have Tim Hasselbeck in. But I just want to do a little cleanup here because of the Josh Gordon situation where he announced early this morning he was stepping away from football to focus on mental health. And then about 40 minutes later, uh, the ESPN NFL reporters collectively here reporting that he was facing, Gordon, a potential suspension for violating the terms of his conditional reinstatement under the NFL's drug policy and that his expectation was he's not going to play again this season. So that's the second part of the story. I don't want to do a, uh, I don't want to do any more on the Josh Gordon thing because I think we all collectively have sympathy for him, but at the same time, like there's two parts of this. Yes, the mental health is part of it, but the likelihood is that he's not announcing that part of it if he doesn't have another violation of the drug policy. So, to more positive news that's coming out of Cleveland, we're going to bring in Tim Hasselbeck here. So, Tim, I've got a Baker Mayfield theory, and I checked with a couple NFL sources, um, and for those wondering, it's not Chris Long and Todd McShay. So, because, <laughs> you know, look, I'm the NBA guy, so sometimes people are like, wait a minute, you talk to NFL teams too? We're like, yeah, shockingly enough, people actually like me. So, this is a big picture thing, and I'm projecting quite a bit. But for Baker Mayfield to go number one, in this class, where it would have been so much easier to take Sam Darnold and have everybody go, okay, hey, that makes sense. Um, and maybe one of the other quarterbacks, not so much Josh Allen. I mean, we can beat up on the two Joshes now after the rookie year because it's been ugly for Rose, and I'm not even sure if it's on him for Allen. It just doesn't look like he's ready. 
But if you consider who Cleveland has been, not just as one of the great, or excuse me, terrible NFL franchises, but one of the worst franchises in sports the last few years, or we can take that out even further, that if Baker comes in, and I'm not talking about a Super Bowl, I'm not talking about getting out of the AFC four of the next ten years, but just to be a perennial contender, say for the next ten, and to be a franchise-changing quarterback, I think that is arguably one of the most if not the most impactful draft picks, if he becomes that guy that we've seen in the last 20 years? Oh, yeah. I mean, one, you're 100% correct about the franchise being terrible. And so... That's part of, of Right. Yeah. And so, so regardless, uh, whoever was picked with that pick, um, really anybody that is going to change the complexion of that franchise of being, you know, terrible to all of a sudden being competitive and good without a Super Bowl, but just... Whatever you you make it you know you want a wild card game like that that's a huge leap for that franchise so Baker or anybody else helping do that clearly would be a big deal I think you make a good argument in that you know just in terms of you know the most impactful and I guess the magnitude of the pick I would agree with you in the sense that there were a lot of like um, you know outlying characteristics about Baker which would have made it very easy to not draft him with the number one overall pick. And so if the fact that you just kind of, um, you know, stuck to your guns in terms of what you believed the guy was, um, that's a big deal. I mean, look, guys that are his size, that have his athleticism, that have his off-the-field history, typically don't get drafted number one overall when there's a slew of other insanely talented people available. Yeah, that's my point, is that it's not just, is Baker better than these guys? And I'm admitting that I'm absolutely projecting here, but it is Cleveland, one of the worst franchises in sports. It's, we could have just taken the big stud kid from USC. And the NBA GM rule used to always be, and it's changed a bit now, but it's like if the guy's looking at two players that are equal and one's big and one's small, you go, I'll just draft the big guy, because if I draft the small guy and he ends up being a bust because he's too small, then I look like an idiot. So at least I'll take the big guy, or I'll take the U.S. kid, I'll take Carl Anthony Towns instead of this huge Latvian kid, Przingis, because that way I'm not going to get fired. So I really think that Baker... And I, you know, and I'm not sure, like there's certain games where it's awesome and the swagger and all that stuff. And I read this recap of that game at Denver and an audible line of scrimmage that turned into a touchdown, but it also conveniently left out Case Keenum's awful throws. Um, but I, I guess I'm just, I don't know. I guess I just want to give Cleveland all this credit. And then I was wondering, can you think of any other names? Cause I have, I can give you the ones that I was given from NFL teams. That would be in this so, conversation. So here, here's what I would say, just to kind of like, uh, piggyback on what you're saying there. Like, you know, I look at all the quarterbacks every year coming out the draft and have since I've been at ESPN. Um, I have to tell you, like on the Baker stuff, like he clearly was a good and productive player in college. There was no debate about it. It was impressive. But I'm sitting there looking at it, and everyone, you know, there was a period of time where people were like, you know, he's kind of like Russell Wilson. And so I'm like, I don't know, man. Like I watch Russell Wilson. Like no one ever catches him. He escapes from people. He's... Like, I don't know that he's Russell Wilson. So I looked up Baker Mayfield's, um, you know, measurables and everything at the Combine. Ryan, you know he was who he was a dead ringer for? Uh, Tyrod Taylor? Let me help you. Me! Okay? No! What? So, so it's like, hey, listen, let me tell you Yeah, something. but you were a sick athlete. 
Like, people don't know that about you. No, you were. You blocked a punt, didn't you? Yeah, well, listen, listen, I'm making fun of myself, but I'm also, what I'm saying is, like, he's really not that impressive of a guy in terms of, like, the physical tools. Like, you know, you, you go, like, people can What was your 40? Someone, like, Give me your 40 invert. It was like in the four seven range. The vert was just barely over thirty. Like it was like like you know it's in that range. You know what, what I mean? about like, the, what about two twenty five? How many reps did you get? I did it seventeen, but I didn't I didn't bench at the yeah. combine because uh, yeah you did. I uh, no no I benched at my pro day because I was throwing too much at the combine. Anyway, my my point is this. My point is not to say I was Baker Mayfield. I most certainly was not. But my point was like guys that have that that type of athleticism. Don't get drafted number one overall. Like, and what I was going to say is, like, you can say what you want about someone like Sam Bradford. Career hasn't worked out the way that it should. But like, go stand next to Sam Bradford. Like, go go watch Sam Bradford go through a workout like back when he was coming out of Oklahoma, and you're like, yeah, I get it. The guy looks like Drew Bledsoe, but moves better. Like it it makes sense. And so that's really my point about you know Baker in terms of he's not one of those guys that is that is physically impressive you know maybe for the, you know the everyday guy but in the world of nfl guys he's not and so i think that was a big leap i look for me i, I wouldn't have had the stones to do it i just i wouldn't have and i talked to plenty of people head coaches and personnel guys that were like mm, i don't I, I couldn't do it I, I can't see past it like maybe i'll miss but like i can't see past it and look like, I, I kind of agree with it Speaking of Sam Bradford, I was at a, an event where I had my picture taken with Chris Long, Sam Bradford, and James Laronitis. And after I got the picture back, I couldn't believe that I wasn't still a virgin. Like, I just went, God. <laughs> well, like, wait, look- so, so you would agree with me for all the people listening to you right now that, that haven't stood next to Sam Bradford. That I've like, had sex? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bradford's right. Bradford looks. I don't know what happens to him when he puts on a, an adult uniform and his helmet. He looks. He looks like a thirteen-year-old kid who's playing in the men's league. Who's like dad is a coach or something, and like they, yeah. he he signed some waiver. He said it's okay, and then you stand next to him, and he 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 made me look small. He made me, and I'm not saying like I'm huge, but I'm not, I'm like 6'2", 220, and Bradford makes me look small in the picture. Yeah, and I just think, I think sometimes people don't realize when you stand next to certain quarterbacks, like even like Marcus Mariota, you see him move around, you stand next to him, you're like, dang, like, I guess if you wanted to, you could have played linebacker, you know? Like you just, some guys, you know, and some, I just, it matters. I mean, listen, you're a basketball guy. I'm always amazed. Like when I'm in the green room at ESPN and like here comes some guy, you know, torn through ESPN. And I'm like, honestly, like, I, you know, I, I feel less of a man because like you, you're like a foot and a half taller than me. You know? The basketball like, thing. I mean, here you are a pro athlete and, you know, as a guy that's now been, at, you know, to countless games and walked in the tunnel and stood. The basketball thing never gets old. Like, every time a guy rolls through, like, if I were next to Chris Paul, which I was at a bowl game once, you're like, oh, my God. Like, look how thick he is. And he's, <laughs> like, I, am I shorter? Like, I think I'm supposed to be lit. Like, Chris Paul might be 6'1". I'm like, what? I mean, that's Steve Nash. I saw Steve Nash mm-hmm. once, and you're like, oh. I mean, because they, you know, look, in our minds, we've only seen them be small the whole time. Okay, so here are the two picks. Here are the two picks that I was given um, because I think they're good. One was Russell Wilson. A franchise-changing guy, and 
you're right that he is better in chaos, I would say, than almost anybody. I don't know. Maybe he's in the group of, of guys, and Baker's kind of like looking like he's going to be one of those guys. And then another front office dude hit me up with Ray Lewis. And I was like, wow. Same. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously they've been guys that, I mean, like so does Brady not fit in the mix in terms of a franchise, just they weren't bad enough. Like, is that the One that I don't think they were the bad criteria? enough. There wasn't the, hey, if you screw up on this pick. I mean, clearly Brady's, like, there's then this argument becomes this thing where it's like, okay, who's good and who's been impactful? And I I guess I have in my head, like, this this criteria that I'm trying to hit. Like, Saruti brought up a good one, which I thought was Peyton Manning, because it had been the Colts. I mean, they'd flirted with being like a, a wild card team. I think they what they had that Harbaugh game where they what it was that the AFC title game when he had the the throw and it was against Pittsburgh. Uh, none of that matters now. The point is that I think I think Baker has the chance, and that is if they are competitive for a decade here, and he's the guy. And after all of these quarterbacks in the Browns jersey with twenty something names in less than twenty years, I feel like his impact for what he'll be with this team, like it's just different than saying, well, Brady's been to an AFC title game every freaking year he's been in the league. Yeah. Uh, which yeah, is, you listen, know. I mean, I, it's going to be, you can't find another team that, that's been as bad. I think that's the, uh, you know, that's yeah. the issue. You know yeah. I mean? But like, like, because to, to your point, like, you can make the argument there's been some really good picks. Like, of course. Look, Matt Ryan, after the Michael Vick stuff, when a lot of people were like, oh, he doesn't have the arm strength, he threw 19 picks, a senior year of BC, like, is he the guy? Like, he turned out to be the right guy, you know? Um, you know, so look, Andrew Luck. Look, Andrew Luck took a franchise that it basically made them move on from Peyton Manning after that abysmal year when Peyton was out. Like, there's a lot of pressure there. Like, you had to be really good, and turned out turns out he was. But you just you can't find another franchise as bad. So, um, you know, so I think that no matter how good of a name you come up with in terms of like the guy's been impactful. Like you can't find another one that that's going to walk into a situation as dire as Cleveland. Good stuff, man. Uh, thanks a lot for joining us here. You good? Hey, good to be on with you, man. Hey, listen, don't don't be a stranger. Like yeah, I was used to seeing you like every week, you know, and all of a sudden just like disappeared. It was like like girlfriend that was like never called back. You know, it was like a Change summer fling a little bit. I know, huh? I know. It was a summer fling that lasted <laughs> 10 years. Uh, thanks, man. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah. So before I get to the hoops and the college football expansion talk that's coming up, I just hope that you're going to listen to me about Bespoke Post. Because you know what's in this holiday season? Selfishness. Just like the NBA, right? Hey, I want to get traded. Why buy an ugly sweater for a distant uncle when you can buy some awesome for yourself specifically bespoke post box of awesome a box of awesome is my favorite way to treat myself every month you know what i'm going to do and i'll admit to selfishness on this one if i go over and you have the means just get yourself something the 26th you deserve it you've been good right for the most part and maybe some of the stuff that you did was sketchy nobody knew about anyway so there you go you're in the clear visit boxofawesome.com and get yourself this gift this next week doesn't go your way. All you have to do is answer a few short questions that will help them determine the boxes that fit you best. Each box goes for under 50 bucks, 
but has more than $70 worth of unique gear waiting inside for you. The first of each month, you'll receive an email with your box details. If you're not feeling that month's box, then simply skip it. From barrel aging kits to limited edition cigars, weekender bags to classy dop kits, Bespoke Post offers essential goods and guidance for the modern man. To receive 20% off your first subscription box, go to boxofawesome.com and enter the code RUSSILLO, R-U-S-S-I-L-L-O, at checkout. That's boxofawesome.com, code RUSSILLO, for 20% off your first box. Bespoke Post, theme boxes for guys that give a damn. So, Rudy, I forgot to do five questions, so I'm going to, anytime I forget to do it, then I'm going to have you do it to me. We'll start that, though, you know, next week. Later. Yeah, because yeah. I have too many things that I need to do here uh, to close out the pod. Anthony Davis. So, let's... Let me just give you a quick, see if I can be quick about this, because whenever I do that, I'll be like, all right, I'll get to you, Saruti, here. Let me be real quick, and then it's 20 minutes later, and then I just stop, <laughs> and you're like left to pick up the pieces. So LeBron made headlines by saying he'd love to play with Anthony Davis. Uh, I've talked to a bunch of people in the last couple of days, and this is far from clear stuff, but it's fun to talk about, right? So if I were on a talk show today, I'd be like, hey, this is what I'm doing. So... Um, let me, let me put together as much of it as I can for you with, with really, even though talking to people, everybody's sort of guessing here. So LeBron saying this is purposeful. Okay. I think that LeBron and the clutch thing, as I've said this for years, do you know how impressive that is that LeBron has an agency while he's the active best player in the league and he has an agency that reps guys in the league? Like we don't talk about that enough. Like, forget the Jordan, hey, you're wearing my shoes. LeBron's like, dude, I make a commission off you. But he's trying to say that he doesn't own it or, you know, it's a separate thing or whatever. And and look, we can get into the semantics of the whole thing, but Rich Paul's his guy. Rich Paul should have left CAA and done his thing. And none of this is, is crit- like, he pulled it off. And that's the part of LeBron that I love is that he's been this pioneer with power, like, no player we've ever seen before in team sports. I understand people resenting him for it, but I... uh I don't know if it's even applauding him, but I commend him for saying, hey, I'm going to start breaking the rules here and doing my own thing, and it's worked out for him the entire time. But I think once Anthony Davis ended up with Clutch, the sense I get digging around in this is that Clutch doesn't want to feel like this thing is rigged. And I don't mean rigged even in the negative way that you would think of it. And that if Anthony Davis ends up with the Lakers, they just are sensitive to the whole idea that this thing's predetermined the whole time. And rigged isn't really rigged. You know, tampering when it's NBA players talking to each other, we need to come up with another term. When the Heat put together that squad over eight years ago, people were losing their minds. You know, oh, you know, the NBA needs to step in. This is a joke. The players just talk to each other. If you actually think you can find a way to limit or end players talking to each other to recruit each other, the whole all NBA All-Star Weekend is just a huge recruitment weekend. That's what these guys do. And honestly, that's the way it works in all businesses. You know, guys were sitting there hanging out at a steakhouse and they go, hey, you ever think about, you know, maybe coming across the street and work for us? So NBA players do it, so it's not really tampering. So even though I've heard other teams grumble about LeBron being on the Lakers and that now he can just hook up magic and talk to other guys and the fact that he has this agency that they're trying to say isn't really his, which, you know, all these things are semantics, is he's the power broker in all of this. So when I dig around about like, okay, is this Anthony Davis Lakers thing a done deal? It isn't, or at least it's being presented as as if it isn't, because I don't know. I don't think LeBron wants it to be thought that way. I'm sure Clutch doesn't want it to be thought that way, that this thing's all preordained. And that's why I think LeBron was actually so forthcoming. 
to act as if, well, wait a minute. I mean, yeah, granted, my boy has an agency, but yes, they rep me and I'm a client, but boy, it'd be awesome to play with him. I think he was so forthcoming because he didn't want to act as if he couldn't speak on it. Okay. And that's just me reading the tea leaves here because as I've, I've dug around on this and be like, okay, is it, is it done to LA? You think it's done to LA? Cause that's the question I keep asking everybody. You think it's done to LA? And this is all of us just opinions at this point. You know, I'll be like, well, you know, there could be a case to be made for Chicago or maybe Houston or maybe even New York. And I'm like, what? Really? So I don't know if Clutch is doing that because they want to think that this thing is going to be an open process. Or maybe it really is. You know, I don't know. I have a hard time believing that, like, okay, it could be four or five different cities. Because it's not like he has to sit there and get multiple bidders to gr- drive up the contract. Because whatever contract he can get is the one that he's going to get. And the one for 239 is the one he's eligible with New Orleans now. And that's the decision that Davis is going to have to make. From what I've been told on the Davis side of things is that he's he's the good son. He's the good employee. He doesn't want to be Kevin, or excuse me, he's much like Kevin Garnett, where Kevin Garnett wanted out of Minnesota, but he didn't want to do the Mellow thing in Denver. And granted, that was before Mellow did the Denver thing. Mellow was like, look, bro, I'm out. Trade me, trade me, trade me. Some argued, wait a minute, Mellow actually did the better thing because he told Denver, you better get something for me because I'm out of here. Uh, you know, look, if you like Mellow, you would say that. If you hate Mellow, and most of you do now, you would say, ah, no, whatever. He was a distraction. He forced his way out. That was awful. It's terrible. I hate that kind of stuff. And that's fine. Like, there's good arguments on both sides of this. But that Davis, despite wanting to move on from New Orleans, which is what everybody thinks, is that he never wants to be the public bad guy. And that's exactly what KG did. KG's like, yeah, I want out of here, but I don't want to do that to Minnesota people. I don't want to do T-Wolves fans. I don't want to do to ownership. Like, can you please get me out of here? But I'm not going to make this a public thing. Kawhi didn't make it public. His um His uncle did. And there's a thought with Davis that it may end up being a family member. Now, having said it, all of those things, if you're the Pelicans, there's no rush here. Okay, let's find out if Davis is really going to turn down that extension this summer. The Lakers assets aren't going anywhere. Listening to Lakers fans now find like my favorite headline this last week was that the Lakers would be willing to package Brandon Ingram. Why? Because he's not going to be any good. Because like that Ingram thing, I'm kind of off. I had hope for him. I don't, I don't think he's usually, man, if somebody's going to be pretty special, we'd know by now. I thought Amin El Hassan brought up a really good comp. He goes, maybe he morphs into somebody who's like a Tobias Harris. You're like, really good score, never a star, but somebody understands it, puts up better numbers than you think. Maybe that could be what Ingram could be, but, um, it's certainly not the value you thought he would be when he was coming out. Like if he was traded draft night, Ingram is thought of as a better prospect because there's hope of what he could possibly be. And I think that ceiling's lower now. I, I mean, I, I look, I'm just sort of a little frustrated with him. Maybe it's been the injuries and all those different things. I think we all know what it is. Whatever the package is from now at the Lakers, it's not going to be as good as what Boston has. And yes, you could make the counter as so many Celtics, uh, well, anti-Celtics people really say, well, wait a minute. Cause I think the Lakers assets collectively are getting worse here for Davis. So if you're at New Orleans, you go, okay, we got to figure out if he's going to say no. we got to figure out if he's going to make a stink. But we also have to figure out once Kyrie opts out of his thing, so therefore the Celtics remain eligible to bring in a second franchise-designated player because there's some language there that I'm sure most of you understand is that they couldn't trade for Davis now. They have to wait until Kyrie opts out, resigns, and then trade for Davis. That Because Jalen Brown is getting worse, that somehow the Celtics' assets. So if we agree that the Lakers' assets are getting worse, I'll agree with you that Jalen Brown, and to a degree Tatum's been a little frustrating this year, and that Gordon Hayward's been in and out, although had better games recently against maybe a worse schedule. 
The Celtics still have four potential first-round picks here, including what could be the number two or better pick with Sacramento, who, yes, the Kings are playing better. We'll see how they do over this next couple weeks stretch with some tougher opponents. But there's I don't care if Jalen Brown isn't as good. There's no Lakers package with that current roster that matches what the Celtics could ultimately be. But it's going to come back down to Davis because if this thing is predetermined where Davis is telling his agents and then talking with LeBron and saying, I want to come to Lakers and Lakers only and everybody else can bleep off, then I don't know if Ainge would do the, hey, let's get him in here for a year and the culture thing like he did with Kyrie. But remember, he had Kyrie for two years. And I get the sense, the more I talk to people about it, despite some early fears about a year ago, is this, I get the sense that like people think Kyrie's good to go and that he's, he's going to stay there. And then we'll see. So that's how I see all of it was certainly a lot of this still being uncertain. So, Sarudi, I did it again. Assess. No, I mean, there's a lot to, to get into there, but I, I want to start with the clutch sports deal because I think. <sighs> Isn't there some sort of a conflict of interest there? Like, I know you praise LeBron for, for doing this, and I'm like, listen, if it's, if it's legal, go ahead and do it. But, like, obviously, Clutch Sports is going to be loyal to LeBron first and foremost. So if, if, if AD signs with Clutch Sports, they're going to push him in the Lakers' direction, no? That's what I would think, right? I mean, <laughs> they're not going to be like, hey, you know, Boston's a good spot. Hey, you never know. Like, what about a Golden State? I don't I mean, know. Think about that. What you just said is perfect. In what world would anyone believe that Clutch Sports would say, hey, you know what? Definitely go to Kyrie's team instead of LeBron's yeah. team. So I just feel like, like they're going to do be... all that they can to get him to L.A. Like that's 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 what the whole point is. And I, honestly, Anthony Davis signing with Clutch, that, that to me thinks he even wanted to do that anyway. Like why else do you sign with Clutch? Well, because they're good. They are good. Sure. Um, but I mean, people, but people want to knock them and stuff and be like, oh, it's the LeBron thing and all that stuff. I mean, look, if you're an agent listening to this and you're not clutch, you're going to say, oh, screw you, Rosillo. I don't like those. All you guys think all of you suck. So, you know, um, so I'm not going to get into all that. I think, you know, I, look, they've, they've gotten to some contracts that didn't deserve them. And if that's the specter of LeBron, then they have a trump card that other people should be jealous of because it works. But you, what you just said, you nailed in 10 seconds, which took me seven minutes of information to just go, you're right. Yeah. I mean, like in what world would they be like, you know what? Definitely go to Kyrie's team. Yeah. Keep your we options open. Dude. You know, like, don't, don't, don't make any rash decisions too fast. You know, I, I don't know. Like I, I think it'd be cool to see him in LA, but I don't, if I'm the Pelicans, I don't want any of those pieces. Like I'm not, I, they're like, okay. I saw her Jalen yesterday and get up was like, I need at least three of the four, you know, between Hart, uh, Kuzma, Ingram and Lonzo. You know, to even have a conversation, and I'm like, I'm not. I don't care. I'm not that impressed with any of them. I, I mean, and that's the thing. Like, if I'm, you know, if if the Lakers need to get this done, because I feel like Stephen A. said what yesterday that he's nervous that the Lakers are going to basically strike out, and this might be their only good chance to get a superstar. Like, I don't know what you think about that. I think that could be possible. Um, but if 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 I'm the Pelicans, like you just said. You have all the time in the world. Wait until the offseason. Wait to get Boston in on this, too, because I'd rather have any of Boston's assets over anything L.A. has. I'd rather have Jalen Brown than Brandon Ingram. Definitely. And think about that, because I was never a Jalen Brown guy, and then I was like, oh, he's he's been better, he's been better. And then last year, you're like, he's terrific. And as bad as he's been this year, and he's been bad, I still think I'd rather have Jalen Brown than Brandon Ingram, and I can't believe I'm saying that, because I, I just, you know, I get to a point with some of these dudes, we talk about the all- first team worry or all first worry team i haven't really locked in trademarking that phrase yet you know brandon ingram's on it he's my starting small forward and then i go why would i keep why would i keep 
you know, there are still things that I liked about him, but then you just sort of see his approach to the game and you go, I don't know that this dude's ever really, I don't think the light's ever going to go off here. And then it turns into, oh, he's not a good fit with LeBron. All right. Well, what about, like, what, what was the rest of the evidence? I mean, yes, it looked like he had taken a bit of a jump there in his second year, but, you know, the rule I always go by is that normally if you're going to be special, and that's why Jimmy Butler is incredible and even more so Kawhi is one of the greatest developmental stories I've ever seen in the history of this league since I've been watching it in 82. Didn't really track it the same way I do now back when I was seven. But for Kawhi to be a dude who the other night against the Pacers go ISO and then beat double teams off the dribble and dunk on people in traffic, like that he's that good of an ISO perimeter player now, that's not the standard don't argue for guys like ingram that are going along slower than we want because of the exception of somebody like Kawhi leonard who i don't know that i've ever seen anything equal to that in 40 years i will say less than 40 well i was rounding up there um i just think it's all kind of interesting but clearly there's no rush new orleans has to find out how bad is this really going to be we don't know for sure if davis is going to say it's la or it's nobody and then you have to always factor in the Ainge, Red Auerbach, Lakers stuff, because I'm serious, that stuff is still real in both of these cities for these franchises, where it's like if the arms race is coming down to those two teams and Ainge thinks he can't get him, he's still going to do whatever he can possibly do to screw with the Lakers. And when you have all these draft picks and Demps is going to try to keep his job, the best way to do it is to trade for picks and then say, okay, I still have now like three or four years maybe to see if these picks turn into anything. Like you got to remember that. You got to remember the selfish motivation of the general manager who's trying to keep his job, who is trading away a generational talent who's not, you know, Anthony Davis is underrated in this league and the injuries got in the way of us fully appreciating him or putting him out there. But when he is right, I don't think there's three guys better than him in this league. He's so stupidly nasty i i agree and i think the going back the only the only way i think he ends up being traded to the lakers is if he says it's it's la or bust right like because otherwise or, it's not gonna yeah happen. right he has to threaten everybody else but like we've seen we've seen paul george traded let's give it a shot um you know i'm going with what Woj told us here Woj is telling us the last time he was on that Kawhi's is not going to toronto okay that can change and that win against the Pacers the other night was – they had no Ibaka, no Lowry, no Jonas, and they were down double digits at home. Toronto, hats off to your crowd in that Pacers game because the Pacers looked every bit the real team. Like the Pacers are for real. Their defense was terrific in moments last night, and then Kawhi just freaking took over. Van Vliet hits the three. That was an awesome game on Wednesday night. Awesome game. Okay, I could do another hour on that, but I want to just finish with this, the college football thing. The Athletic – I have a lot of friends that work there. I know everybody's anti-paywall. I get it. I have a subscription to it. I just think their content is really, really good. And they had some really good stuff with Jim Delaney, the commissioner of the Big Ten, admitting now, and Delaney's the most important commissioner in all of this as sort of the power broker and can kind of sway the room that, hey, guys, you know what kind of sucks is that four is actually smaller than five. And I can never figure out if people in power are just like us at times, because they are. Or they're never like us. Because there's also times when we hear about stuff, the people in power, where you go, why would you think that way about something? And you're like, oh, maybe that's why that guy's a CEO and I'm not. But this one was really dumb. And 
you have to admit that in the timeline of all this stuff is that when they went from the BCS to the four teams, it was it just sort of happened. And Stu Mandel was all over because I still think he was a Sports Illustrated, and he's the guy behind the Athletic. So, by the way, check it out. Trust me on this one. Give it the free trial. I'm not getting anything out of it. I just think they have good stuff there, and they this piece about the expansion. Then it took off. So, I uh, <laughs> I remember Stu like just going. It was really simple. The commissioner's like, "Hey, you know, I'm you know I'm really sick of hearing is is watching all these TV shows, specifically ESPN, say we're a bunch of bumbling fools." And that the BCS sucks and we can make more money. So why don't we just do a new TV deal with ESPN and Skipper, who at the time and one of the things that was most consistent from Skipper while I ever had any interaction with him was his love affair. And rightfully so people can knock him on some of the TV deals. But I think in the long term, you're going to show that like that live game audience can't be duplicated. So that's what he always wanted to do. He wanted to buy up all the live rights he possibly could. He said that to my face. He goes, I wish I could buy more. So when they were going to expand it, he was like, okay, how do we do this? Done. I'm in. <laughs> we want to own college football. We want to own the playoff. And the commissioner's like, oh, wow, look. Look how smart we all are. We're making all this extra money by doing something that was painfully obvious. But older people, I think in particular, have a harder time with change and then changing it rapidly. So somehow the compromise is, okay, what should we do? Hey, oh, hey, it's, yeah, it's a little too sexy. You know, let's keep the skirts on. Let's just keep it at four. Yeah, let's just keep it. Oh, we're going to make some more money. Okay, ESPN's in. Okay, all right. Let's just keep it at four, though. You know what I mean? Let's not lose our minds. Let's not take our clothes off all the way yet. All right, let's keep it a little PG-13. And then you go, why would you guys ever, ever start a system where one of you is always going to be out, potentially two, and even three if a conference doubles up and then you have the Notre Dame situation, which we almost just had. So what you had to actually have was the these scenarios hit you in the face for you to realize, hey, this is really stupid. Why are we putting ourselves in a position where we go back to our conferences and then everybody thinks that we're bad leaders because we're left out of the playoff? Why do we do that? Because everybody looked in the room and said, oh, it's going to be the Pac-12's problem. God, the Big 12 stinks. It's inferior conference. Every commissioner looked in the mirror, saw that he saw a playoff conference, they'd be fine. And Delaney was cool with it until, like, wait a minute, we're not getting in? Okay. Well, this can't happen. And for everybody that said, Bill Hancock included, who consistently tells us something that isn't going to happen, that ends up always happening, I wish I could short his opinions on college football. Like, this thing's going to happen. And I know, I think it was Brett McMurphy who had, and I hope I'm getting it right, because if I don't, then Brett will certainly tweet something at me, but... It was him getting an anonymous census of the room of all the people who are just on the playoff committee. He's like, hey, do you want expansion? Three yes, one abstained, three no's, three undecided. It was like, I go, you know what? That's actually a great indicator of that room being balanced when they were talking about who should be in the playoff. Now, I'm not going to have a problem with eight. I think you're going to end up getting certain years. If you had 10 years of eight teams, you'd be like, this team's in a playoff for the national title. And yes, I do think it would diminish the regular season. I don't know why people can't understand that, like, if you had eight, the SEC title game's irrelevant. And sometimes it's irrelevant anyway, but it's even more so if it's like, ah, it doesn't even matter who wins this thing. Like, that's that's a fact. That cannot be denied. I'm not saying I'm not going to still watch every Saturday. But, yeah, you could have Ohio State lose to Purdue by 30, and it wouldn't matter because they'd be in the playoff. So, yes, like, why do people argue that that wouldn't, if it went to eight, that wouldn't change it? That's fine. Look, look, I'm still okay with eight. The non-Power 5 team being automatically put in is a joke. The UCF thing is nice. 
people that are pro UCF are super annoying about it, but I'm all all okay with them being in. There would be you. There would be years. Excuse me. Your group of five team. You're like, wait a minute. Why are they in over this? You have these three lost teams at eight going. Wait a minute. Why are we doing this again? And it would be a three loss team, maybe that lost early on, and then you know they'd make up some sort of excuse because of an injury on and on. Like there's all these different things that could happen, but I'm still okay with eight. Okay, I'm still okay with eight if it were to happen. But I just think it's so simple that now as more conferences have been left out, specifically the Big Ten, who has the branding, who has the following, who is a ratings winner no matter what. Those people are awesome, awesome, passionate fans, despite the fact I can't stand you a lot of times. But now that they're being left out, it's like, okay, the thing that theoretically could have happened, I just didn't care about until it actually happened. And that is putting off your bills until the repo man shows up. You know you're going to pay the car note, but it doesn't feel real until he's outside hooking it up to a tow truck. And trust me, I know the feeling. And aside to all of this, it also gets back to human nature more so than anything. Because nothing is harder than to admit you're not good at something, especially if you're competitive, especially if you have an ego. And that's what Big Ten fans have been doing here the last couple days, because you're turning this thing into the committee being anti-Big Ten, and that's where most of you that come at me with this argument, you just, you've already lost. You've already lost. And I'm sorry if I'm going to sound a little harsh and a little mean here, but I feel like it's necessary. And I know that a lot of times it's the vocal minority than it is the silent majority who gets it. But the conference alignment here, we we are not looking at a playoff committee that is anti-Big Ten. They're anti-your best team getting smoked by Iowa and then Purdue, and that's Ohio State. Now, Ohio State, when you watch them, they're the only team that can hang with the Southern teams. I don't know how anybody watched Northwestern and Michigan State and goes, yes, this is the same as even Tennessee and Florida. If you're seeing the same thing, you're lying to yourself, and you also disagree with every NFL front office. So that hurts you a little bit perception-wise. But when Big Ten fans are like, oh, everybody's going to play nine games, you've been doing it for three years. You act like you've been doing it for the entire 20th century plus here. And that ninth game for half the conference is Rutgers. Okay? And for all the Citadel jokes in Alabama, it's, it's always this moving target of, well, Alabama doesn't do this. Well, Alabama actually doesn't, they don't, they don't travel for that game. Alabama will play somebody all the time. And yes, they do the neutral site thing. They used to do the, they did the Penn State thing, where it was a home and home. Um, and yes, I know they, along with other SEC teams, play those teams at the end of the season. But like when they're playing their third or fourth non-conference and it's one of the three crappy ones and it happens to be the second to last week, I don't know how that's any different than your team playing their first three or first four games against nobodies. Like what's more impressive? Clemson, an ACC team who everybody likes to beat up on because they're an eight-game conference, the SEC. Well, what's tougher? Penn State playing Pitt, Akron, almost losing to App State? And I know you're going to tell me Pitt's kind of good, but we know that they're not. Or Clemson going to A&M and then also having another non-conference where they have to play South Carolina, who in some years is good. This year they weren't. So everyone go, oh, we're nine, we're nine, this isn't fair, it's anti-Big Ten. No, no. The committee is very simple. Don't lose to Purdue by 29. Don't lose to Iowa inexplicably the year before that. And also don't have two losses in that year. And if Alabama was losing to lesser teams, the worst teams in the conference, then that's necessarily the case for Purdue and Iowa, but you get the point. And they were losing by 30, they too would not be getting into the playoff. And the reason I bring up the human nature part of it is if you're an Ohio State fan, if you're a Big Ten fan, 
it's hard for you to go, you know what, we're not that good. We're not that good. Collectively, we're a disappointment this year. Hey, I'm an Ohio State fan. We were weird this year. Things weren't clicking. We were super one-dimensional on offense. Hey, I'm a Penn State fan. Too many games where it didn't really make sense. Hey, I'm an Ohio State fan. That month was really weird. We almost lost to Maryland. No, you don't want to admit those things. You want to think that it's something where someone's out to get you. Because you never want to say, it's my team's not good enough, I'm not good enough. You want to blame the refs. You want to blame the committee. You want to blame the media. The same way if you see a beautiful girl with a guy, you want to say he has money. And if he has money, you hope it's because he has a dad. And if there's a sales guy in your department that's getting promoted, you don't want to ever say, you know what, he's just flat out better than me. His numbers are better. He's better at salesman. He's better with relationships. He's played the game better. No. You just sit there and say, he kisses butt and he's a favorite. He does, cause I look, man, I've done all the same stuff in my life. And it took a long time to go, hey, sometimes it's just you. You're not good enough. You're not as good with people as that guy is. But I know the majority of the people that listen to this and my friends and I just, you know, it's about maturing and getting older and hoping you even get to that point of self-awareness. But human nature is to constantly say that other things are working out. For any other reason than the hard one to say, you know what, it's me, or in this case, it's my team. Please subscribe, rate and review the Rosillo Show podcast. The numbers for the last month were incredible. We are becoming, in less than a year per episode, uh, one of the most downloaded things at ESPN. And I couldn't do it without you guys and girls which I think there are a few. Have a Merry Christmas.